0: We have a special episode for you. This is with the infamous Seth Wilson, who's one of my closest friends. Uh, Let's get into it, just like we do with any other episode. Would you mind sharing how you came to your faith in Christ?
1: Absolutely. Um, I feel, actually, this is crazy, because I think we've kind of had this conversation before, but it's, it's always been somewhat of a blessing to me that I grew up in a church household. Right, My uh, parents, we went to Susquehanna Baptist Church in Independence for like all of my childhood. I remember going to the uh, Parents' Days Out, Mother's Day Out, and stuff like that, and all the activities that we always had. And then around, gosh, I was just probably 10, 11 years old or something, maybe a little older, when my mom's parents, uh, one of them passed away, and they relocated, and then we kind of stopped going to that church. And so... From forever, I was always around church and believed in church and all of those kinds of things. And then I basically had a decision to make. And and I'm gonna, I'm assuming at some point in time we'll kind of talk through this a little bit. But I uh, I was faced with a decision. My parents weren't driving me back to the church that I had kind of grown up in, so I was all on my own. And somehow, uh, through the grace of God, I guess my friends. Uh, invited me to go to this church in Missouri City, which is this tiny. There's nothing in this town at all, um, and I started going to that church. Never missed a Sunday, like for for years and years and years. Never missed a Sunday, and at the time it was, you know, still kind of on the surface. It wasn't something that was super deep for me, but I went and I religiously just listened to the message and heard and was always around it. So then. Uh, high school comes, go off to college, and a uh, person that we both know, Kevin Pruder, invited me to go from Mizzou to a church here in uh, Raytown, Missouri, which at the time was um State Baptist Temple. So it kind of matched up with what I was doing, and we went there, and uh, lo and behold, like that message struck me really hard. And then finally, in uh, November of like 2002, uh, I, I got baptized as an adult for the very first time. I kind of grew up always knowing, you know, obviously the stories of Jesus and everything else, but then the time for me to actually make the public profession of uh, knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior came November 24th, 2002. So it's hmm. kind of a long-winded story of like, I always felt like I was in it, but not until I got a little older did I make that commitment and really kind of start to understand what it meant. Mm. I never knew that. Yeah, there you go. Wow,
0: we've known each other for a long time, and I never knew that. (laughs) I'm so grateful for this show. Uh, So then, between your mom and dad, Mm -hmm. was your mom or your dad more stronger in the faith?
1: My dad had a pretty rough childhood, and I don't know that there was ever a lot of good mentors or guides within any of that. So my mom grew up in the church that I attended, and my dad was sort of standoffish of the whole thing. And what's weird about all of that is through our whole life, like it's kind of circled back that he's, he's now taken a bigger vested interest in that. And um, even honestly, uh, the, the woman that he's um, with, is, her son is actually studying to be a, a pastor. And so in the household now, it's just kind of something that is full circle that he's kind of picked back up on. Mm. Yeah. So, so your mom was the rock she was the rock yeah. and then now long time later here it is wow
0: yeah. that's kind of obviously that's how I was raised too mm-hmm. the mom was the rock and dad didn't have anything to do with it <laughs> uh thank you for sharing that so let's just get in business how did you become the sales director for Kabinko?
1: well it's again these are wild wild stories in my own mind it's probably not exciting to anybody else but I felt like I'm going to just recap, when I was at church at Susquehanna, and then the next stage was left completely unknown. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do next. Door opened. Then, flash forward to many, many years, I've had instance after instance after instance where, honestly, a lot of prayer goes into, and there have been days I've been on my knees, like just no idea where I was going to go. Mm. And, you know, I I kind of follow, there's this idea It says, uh, if the wind goes where God tells it, so will I. And so I've always prayed, like, just open the door, let me know where I'm supposed to go, what's supposed to happen. So, instance after instance of hardship and things like that. And it's not always that, you know, I've just been gifted everything. There's always been tough decisions and choices and lessons learned along the way, but I've always felt like I've been pulled into opportunities rather than just reaching out for them and asking. So, for becoming the director of Kaminco, I was actually working at Co Martial Arts. Mm-hmm. If you guys are familiar with that <laughs> and uh, a person that I had known for a long time came over to me one day and he he basically said, uh, you can tell me to go fly a kite if you want to, but uh, I'd be interested in having you take a look at joining our team. And, and I was like, well, I mean, I'm, I'm always open to hearing what you have to say. And uh, having a lot of conversations around that and obviously consulting with people and turned into something that I felt like was a good opportunity and has yet again led me to a spot where I can be a leader. And I, it's been going great. Mm. And what are you doing there? Uh, the director of sales and marketing. So I oversee a team of 12 to 15 of the sales team members, a couple of different divisions, and then handle all of the marketing and uh, you know, third-party consulting that goes along with the marketing stuff.
0: So after you've started there there's been some changes. There have been. What are the, what are the ones that really uh, stand out for you that you kind of <sighs> took Gosh. the lead on?
1: Well, so again, everything positive comes with some negative. So I think it's addition by subtraction and, and I have to give good, good credit to the people that were there before me. I was able to spend about a year working with my predecessor who had moved into a different role and kind of as a mentor, kind of a position. And that literally kind of helped springboard me, but he left, which created kind of a gap Uh, when he retired, he left and and we had to overcome that kind of stuff. Uh, We had a a gentleman early on in my tenure there that had passed away due to COVID. And so we, we had some really Uh, just uncharacteristic challenges that we kind of had to go through. And I think that really led us to creating some trust and some commitment to one another and understanding that we're all in this together. And then from that kind of early strife and early struggle, I think, you know, like, you know, sweat and blood, sweat and tears kind of forms bonds with people. And I think we had a good chance to bond. And because of that, we've been introducing a lot of new products. We've been changing the way we go to market. We've been changing the way we discuss opportunities with customers, we've been changing the way we do proposals, and all that kind of stuff has eventually here led to us with about 120% growth over the time that I had started.
0: Mm. You yeah. guys still using the, the green screen for... Oh, we talked about that.
1: <laughs> oh, I don't want to talk about that now. Uh, yeah, some, some of the people do. That's funny. We have this, for for those of the listening, we have a, uh, uh, an old MS-DOS-style computer program that's like our ERP system, and it's been like custom-built for for two-way radio mm-hmm. shops like ours, but my sales team has moved on to a new application called Copper CRM, which so you're you're not using that anymore. I, I yeah, I couldn't. No more MS DOS. I didn't know how to do it. I couldn't <laughs> figure it out. Was, like, <laughs> felt like I was going back to colon slash yeah, slash whatever. I, it, was, it was pretty rough.
0: Oh my goodness. <laughs> so funny. you um, have a little bit of background in martial
1: arts. Uh, you might say that. I tell me more about that. Oh, golly. Uh, so what is it? I started in 1992 and uh, I've ran the entire gambit, uh, I think, as a, as a student, a school owner, a competitor, a coach, a uh, member of the board of directors, uh, worked at the, the governing body for USA Taekwondo here in Kansas or in Kansas City in the United States yep. and uh, traveled the world doing that, honestly. Mm. And you started at what age? I was 11 years old, turning 12. And why'd you start? I was a horrible child. <laughs> I just put that right out there. I was a bad, bad kid. <laughs> so then, so wait, if you're a horrible
0: child, why would your parents put you in something to make you more effective at, you know, maybe hitting other people?
1: Well, they probably knew. No, I'm kidding. They, it's not it at all. I think we. They, my mom, again, it bless her heart, you know, um, she was grasping at any straw to be able to figure out how to rein me in. Um, you're familiar with a lot of personality profiles, mm-hmm. Uh as a trailblazer, as a debater, um, depending on, you know, what profile you're looking at, yeah. you know, I am, uh, very forward with my thoughts all the time and a little combative. Really? Right? Never yeah. That. Never. Yeah. It's a never little different. Noticed that about a you. little combative. <laughs> and that is, I think early on without being able to rein that in, I could see why it would be a challenge. I wouldn't want a child like me but at the same time, I kind of would, because I feel like down the line, it would be great. But early on, just chaos. And so that's how I got into it. Mom was like, take him. Like, do... Were you it, you were diagnosed...
0: <laughs> were you diagnosed with ADHD? I was. Time? I was. So they, they they thought that putting you in martial arts would
1: help with that. That's what, exactly what they thought. Did it? I, uh, 100%. I don't think anything in my life has changed my life more than doing martial arts. Mm. Tell me more about that. that. I'm sure you loved it. Tell me more. So, I refused to take the ADD meds. My mom would like try to hide it in my sandwiches and my cereal and all of that. And I was dead set against something changing me. I I was like, I'm, um, now I'm like a little self conscious. Like, I'm perfect and I don't need (laughs) any of this other stuff. And uh, and obviously, now I know a lot better. But at the time, it was pretty rough. And um, when I got into martial arts, for whatever reason, I think that release of energy. Mm. just kind of allowed me to calm down. It was yeah. weird. And I think it's um, violent energy. But at the same time, that release allowed the rest of my life to become way more balanced, mm. if that makes sense. Because I think yeah. it kind of be rambunctious. So I think martial arts sometimes can be rambunctious. I'm kicking a paddle. I'm hitting, breaking a board. And so it's like, ah. But then when you're done, you're like, ah.
0: Huh. Mm. It's kind of cool. And then, I mean, your instructor mm-hmm, was mm-hmm. Uh, not necessarily a student of my father's, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but in adjacent. that kind of yeah, network. absolutely. Sure. And I know how my father taught me. Right. So that kind of was mm-hmm. shared with all the other instructors mm-hmm. that was in that time, which was very much old school discipline. Yeah. Tough love. And that was
1: applied to you. 100%. Knuckle pushups. Knuckles on boards. Knuckles on, on concrete. Boards. There you go. Yeah. Old school. And I I, I love that. Like, <laughs> you loved not, it. Not at the time. I feel like there was a lot of like you know, ill ill wishes towards people when I was a young child. Um, but at, like looking back on that, those are some yeah. of my fondest memories.
0: Oh yeah, yeah.
1: Without without any of this, I mean, honestly, we've been talking about just kind of history. But without any of my history, I wouldn't be who I am today. Mm-hmm. And I think I've grown into something that's been able to influence so many people in mm-hmm. so many ways, and that's powerful.
0: Yeah, because you, I mean, when we say martial arts, we mean taekwondo. Mm -hmm. That's the, the, and the only reason why I bring that up is in martial arts, um, with a different martial art, it really comes down to the the culture it brings. Mm -hmm. So, taekwondo is a Korean culture, Mm -hmm. karate is a Japanese culture, Mm -hmm. and then maybe you even have something like Brazilian jiu jitsu. I was just Mm -hmm. thinking about this the other day, other day, jiu jitsu is Japanese, Mm -hmm. but. Then, when you look at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, mm-hmm. I think the culture is a little bit more laid back.
1: Yeah, definitely different from
0: Brazil. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you're bringing that culture. Kung Fu is Chinese. Yep, that's the only re- reason why I bring that up. But you know, in the Korean culture, the respect mm-hmm. is humongous. Mm-hmm. Like it's everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you say that was really uh, important with you? And kind of battling through all those obstacles with ADHD and everything else?
1: 100%. So when I started, like I said, I was about 12 years old. I ended up getting my black belt when I was 16. And, you know, that four years about that it took me to be able to get from from there to there. And I think my life actually started to sort of get into, I I don't know if you say a good flow or, or in a better alignment with what I needed to be doing. At about the time that I got my black belt. And I would say truly like the most memorable moments for me was we used to have what was called recommended second degree. And right about that time that I was like recommended second degree, it seemed like I'm a normal human now. Like before that I was a wild, crazy, you know, whatever. But at, at black belt, it started to come together. And by the time I was a second degree, it was, I'm, I'm like a leader. Mm. It's really changed, but it took, it was, that was about six to eight years
0: hmm. from
1: from zero to secondary black belt.
0: Can you imagine all the things that Mr. Hare had to go through?
1: Oh all anyone around me it's not I just had this is off off topic I just had a 20 year reunion with some of the kids that I went to elementary school with and I felt like I was sitting there apologizing to them for the for beating <laughs> them all up It's <laughs> like a child I never I wasn't like that violent I was just <laughs> You know, just a center of attention and drawing, you know, all that. But yeah, it was it's pretty funny. So yeah. So then knows.
0: uh you that was obviously a big impact. Mm-hmm. Then you graduated high school. Mm-hmm. Then you went to MU. Did. Yep. Wouldn't you decide that you wanted to open up your own studio?
1: Oh man. So again, wild, wild, crazy things. I remember as a competitor when I was 18 19 having a conversation with my coach at the time and saying like i'm not ever doing this i'm not going to be a taekwondo instructor you can but i'm I'm always going to compete because he was like you'd be a great coach and i was like i'm not coaching i'm going to be competing until i'm i'm dead i was like bury me on mats like that's that's my life mm. and uh shortly thereafter i injured myself if you can imagine <laughs> <laughs> and uh i started coaching and man like I became a really good coach, and then that led me to want to do this. So we had another school, um, Rick McLaughlin, another gentleman you may remember, mm-hmm. who had opened a school in Lee Summit, and he decided that it wasn't for him. He was starting a family and move in a different direction in his life. And he asked if I was interested, and I was like, I guess so. So I did it. And I bought that school, and around the same time, there was a um, opportunity to be leading a small program in the middle of nowhere, Lexington, Missouri. And I was driving back and forth from there while I was at Mizzou for, you know, an hour each way to teach these classes a couple days a week. And uh, it just kind of grew on me. And that lifestyle turned into something that I enjoyed and the freedoms that went along with it. But also the responsibilities and then just the the ability to kind of influence and give back to what I what was so powerful for me. Mm. How old were you when you bought that studio? That was 20, 21. 21 years old. I think I was 21. How'd you get the money? He financed it for me. Oh, seller finance. Yeah. That's, the best, That's the best kind. It was pretty solid.
0: Wow. Yeah. This was at least Summit. Yep. And you're still going to MU? I was. And then you also were driving I lane. was I
1: finishing, actually, so it must have been 22. It was 22. Mm-hmm. I, it was, yeah, we won't get into all that, but I think it was 22. So it was just when I was done with there, and as soon as I was done at Mizzou, I had come back to Kansas City, and I'd started working at... Uh, Harley-Davidson, and yep. oh, like, oh, running that school at night.
0: So during this time, you had a, uh, more than one kind of teaching engagement, then you had your own studio. Uh-huh. Why did you, after
1: graduating college, not just go all in on the studio? Well, that's a great question, too. I don't really know why. Uh, <laughs> I think w- I probably could have. Yeah. I was trying to kind of start a life, buy a house, do some things, yeah. and I think that wasn't maybe quite enough at the time. No. And I also didn't have very good leadership either. Like mm-hmm. there wasn't anybody that was there saying, "Here's how we're going to make it grow. Here's how we're going to do it." No. And uh, it was it wasn't super big at the time, and it was enough that kind of taught me some great lessons but it wasn't enough probably for me to take whatever steps I wanted to or needed
0: to. How common is that, do you think, with people who, for example, are in martial arts, maybe as a kid, maybe as an adult, Mm -hmm. like, I love this, Mm -hmm. so I want to open my own studio. Worst decision ever. (laughs) Uh,
1: There's so much better to it, right? That commitment to growth. Mm -hmm. And I think I was just reading about this actually this week was talking about a business plan. We've talked about business planning so much. And how many people just no plan. There's no exit strategy. There's no financing strategy. There's just, you know, bootstrapping it straight to whatever happens, happens. Mm-hmm. And it seems like, especially with martial arts, with a little bit of strategy and planning or alignment with, with somebody who knows how to do it, right. It would be really successful, but people just live with mediocrity all the time. And that just drives me crazy.
0: Mm. Or they open the studio and I just, can, it, it's like a Side hustle, Mm -hmm. part-time gig, Mm -hmm. infinitely. Or good intentions that they don't know how to actualize into the business. Yeah. Yeah, that's so common in in Mm -hmm. the martial arts industry. Uh, So after you were at Harley, Mm -hmm. uh, then you had your studio, then, I mean, some transitions happened, and you actually came and started working for
1: my father. Actually, me, and then my father at the same time. Yeah, that's wild. So I went through like one of the, one of the most difficult points was when I was working at the studio and Harley Davidson and I had just actually gotten married. Yeah. And then went through a divorce like right. pretty quickly thereafter and I couldn't manage both of those two things at the same time. I yeah. couldn't have a school. And so the conversation with you and I actually started where it was I've got this school do you, do you want to, and you're like, no, I don't want anything to do with that. And, uh, so that led me to leaving, leaving the school and transitioning away from martial arts. But once again, you know, uh, where the wind blows, it opened up another door that you were like, well, why don't you come over here? Okay. Yeah, yeah, sure. I guess. And it wasn't immediate. It was six or eight months after one thing had ended and the next thing began. I think it was like June of the next year. Uh, so that was like October and to June, and then as we were talking through all of that, again, it just kind of made sense. And honestly, you know, you look back at that as a milestone moment mm. in my life, anyway, that has led me to a whole bunch of other places. Mm.
0: It's funny looking back. If I was, you know, I had, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. If I was in the position now and you asked, I I'd think I'd, I'd consider it. Yeah, <laughs> goodness. Well,
1: <sighs> hindsight,
0: <laughs> hindsight. And then, I mean, fast forward—you're teaching, and you end up purchasing my father's studio. Yeah, yeah,
1: wild. How was that? That was uh, another milestone moment. I—I <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I was respectful through the process and did did right by the business owner during the process. I believe. Yeah. Um, I think that was in the best interest of what I was trying to achieve, honestly, and. I think the the business prospered, and I think it grew, and it, and we we achieved some amazing things. But I'm I'm really most proud of the fact that uh, so many of the students that I was able to communicate with. It's about the right lifestyle, you know, the right work ethic, um, the right focuses, and finding your calling. And and I just I mean, was, those are magical moments. So I don't regret any bit of doing that kind mm. of stuff. Yeah. So I took over for sure.
0: Yep. And then. Uh Fast forward, you kind of Mm -hmm, rebranded and then, uh, COVID
1: hit. That was on another milestone moment. So the first thing I go back and it was a, what should I do? Like at Coe's Blackwell Academy prior to the rebrand, am I supposed to do this? And I'm praying like, you know, on my knees, literally on my knees. Like I, I'm scared. I didn't know if I wanted to do it. We've talked about it numerous times, um, you're talking about the rebranding? Yeah, yep, and, yep. and moving in general. Like, yep. Is that something that I should do? And I think it's funny because on one hand, you know, in conversations with you, you're like, you should rebrand. like You sh- don't be coz anymore. You don't want to do this. And I'm like, there's a lot of legacy in that. I don't know if I want to move away from the brand and, and yep. whatnot. But at the same time, it felt right to try to find something that was mine. And uh, that was super successful. When we moved over, I think the branding was great. I think everything was good. But COVID hit, and it just... Honestly, ended up creating an, yet another opportunity where I was going to say, "Do I really want to do this now? Is this where I need to be?" Yeah, and that yeah. led me to where I am today. So we got out of that, and I ended up coming to work for Coma. Yeah, I, I forgot about that. Actually, It just <laughs> yeah, one thing <laughs> thanks, led to the
0: next. Thanks for uh, bringing that up. Um, I have to ask, what, how was that transition going from the entrepreneur? being your own quote-unquote boss, Mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. know, even as an entrepreneur, business owner, the boss is the customer, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. You have to report to the customer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a big, you know, big circle. Mm -hmm. But how how did that feel going from your own boss to then having to report to somebody?
1: So I think I'm always a really good number two somehow. Uh, I have a lot of the entrepreneurial spirit. I've got a lot of, like I said, fight in me to try to do the things that I want to do. But when I align well with, something I think that it I, I have a really good ability to be so supportive of certain things uh, in regards to moving from entrepreneur to being that kind of number two or a or subordinate, I think I was I was kind of ready for the pressure to be off in a sense and I also had a, a desire to um, try to think about what I would say to that I had a desire to transition into just a business role. Instead of the mentorship role and the leadership role, I felt like it was maybe a spreading of the wings to find kind of a new version of myself. Mm. Uh, Because you were with Coma
0: for about a year. Mm -hmm. And I remember when you brought up that you got the offer Mm -hmm. and what you're going to get paid. And I said, take that. You better take that you right now before better he go. changes his mind. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but if it's, it's, I just love this story because if you look back, uh, it's just amazing. God's providence is so amazing. Yeah, going through all the things that has happened and it seems like now in the position you're in, I mean, you're just soaring. It feels like it's goodness. I mean, it's just like, you did the entrepreneur thing, but then you just said. I think I'm a number two guy, but I think that's one of the most powerful things that people can do is when they realize who they were created to be. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We can't have all number ones, yeah. And not everybody's supposed to be number one because they are not made
1: like for that position. I just had somebody. This is a conversation between what's the difference between being a a leader and a manager in regards to like an entrepreneur versus kind of a day to day guy. Yeah, and people saying it's the same. And it's not the same at all. Being that visionary person means being way out in front. Managing the day-to-day and being a people person and, and following processes is not the same thing. And I think what you just kind of mentioned is kind of where I don't want to have to be the constant pusher to try to find how, what's, how we're going to manage this business. But I love the idea of making it better. Mm. So almost like an intrapreneur. Mm. if you're familiar with that. Somebody who can develop from within something. Mm -hmm. I love that. Well, you need both. Yeah, for sure. If you just have a visionary, then you just have a bunch of dreaming and nothing happens.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Nothing is taken to the finish line. Right, right. Uh, That's where I am very guilty of is uh, constant ideas. And it's just like if those ideas aren't um, married with some sort of process and then executed by people who are... Uh, skilled at it. Right, right. You can take it to the finish line. Right. Might as well not even bring it up. A hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. That is amazing. So how, how are you applying the principles you learn from you becoming a black belt, um, you as an
1: instructor, mm-hmm, owning mm-hmm. your own business mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in the professional world like today? Wow. That's a big question. So I don't think that there's a day that goes by that I don't try to impart some of that wisdom onto the, into, onto, with the people that I'm working with. Um, my day starts every day with um, with my my Bible time. Uh, I read a little bit in the morning, and then when I get to work, uh, there's a, a daily affirmation that I'm reading, and then it kind of carries forth from there. Um in regards to the martial arts side, I think all of a lot of my example setting is not just martial art, but sport and life, just the hardships and overcoming and anything worth having is worth doing right. And if you don't have time to do it right the first time, when are you going to have time to go do it again? Mm-hmm. Um, martial arts is very much about honing your craft. And I think that that's something that I constantly push back into the group of people, the sales leaders that I'm at, because there's a lot of ups and downs in, in the world of sales, and I think just like when we're doing martial arts, there's a lot of failures that happen every single day, but the struggles that we learn and the, the struggles that we have are what we learn from, and that's how you get better. Mm-hmm. So I think from a martial arts instructor standpoint, we're like, I want you to fail. I want you to struggle because within that, that's where you get growth. And I think that that's like a, a big chunk of the message that goes into the, the people that we work with. Mm. I can imagine that you're
0: taking a lot of your, which you didn't, you humbly did not mention that you were a national team coach for USA Taekwondo. Window which is um, the governing body or the organization that sends teams to the Olympics. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, So you were very much involved there. You were also on the board. Mm -hmm. So I can can only imagine there's so many things that you are bringing to those conversations with Mm -hmm. your sales Mm -hmm. team, When they are, you know,
1: going through some low times and you're like, all right. A so little motivation. Yeah. yeah. And the, just the principles, like there are some things that used to say all the time, like round one is for learning. Round two is for adjusting. Round three is for winning. And a lot of times with sales, like you want to close a sale now, but sometimes sales are complex and they take a long time to develop. And as they mm-hmm. are, you've got to learn to have that patience and learn to that. That first round isn't necessarily, if you don't win it, it's over. There's still a lot of fight left to go, if you will, and I think those are principles that we we get through everything that we do. As if we're if we're kind of just following, I hate to say like fight science in general, but if you apply that, I think a lot of people would see a lot of growth.
0: Mm. So it seems like you guys have been doing well at Kaminco. Mm-hmm. Uh, growth year after year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. News flash, mm-hmm. interest rates are constantly going up. Crazy, yeah. Um, seems like
1: we're on the brink of a recession. Yeah. But you guys keep getting orders. It's crazy. Why? Uh, you know what? Uh, again, give grace to God for for us being able to be in front of people that are interested in, in listening. But I think we're we have eighty five percent market share in the Kansas City area. Mm. And but the, you had that before. Yeah. And what's changed? I think again the messaging, the relations. Mm. The, the focus on cu- helping customers. Uh, I think the principles that we've talked about from a business perspective for years of, if you're doing what's right, what's right will, will happen. And I think a lot of times that's where we're really striving to get to so that when we're working with customers, it's about a solution that you need, the solution that you want, and helping them as a trusted advisor rather than just being a vendor. Mm -hmm. And I think that that thing changes. And I think we've seen, because of those conversations, we've seen a lot of giant sales that have come through that are kind of unique and different than what they've ever had in history. So, Mm. again, that's just... Good blessings right now. I'm mm. just holding on to them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> How important is the follow through of the operations department compared to the performance? I mean, you got to, let's say you have a sales marketing team that's killing it, yep, getting all the deals, yeah, all the time. But then you, you hand them off to yeah. the operations team, and now all your promises are gone.
1: You know, it's funny that you say that. I think it's, um, I think it's Colossians. And it's kind of like putting in work um, as if you're working for God all yeah. the time, yeah. right? And the general thought for me is, I don't work for Kaminko. I work hard because I'm working for God all the time. I've yeah. actually told my team that. like, uh, This is very important for me to understand, because there's a lot of times where people will come back and be like, eh, we don't need to. I'd be like, we always need to. We always have to go the extra mile. Yes. So what you've said there is... Our sales team, that's what they're hearing. In the other departments, maybe, maybe they get something similar. I don't really know. I don't have as much influence over the rest of the company as, as that. But I think sales in general is the person who's always making promises. Yeah. And the rest of the company is where promises get broken. And there's really no way away from that. It's like It starts with me, and I go, we're going to do something great for you. And I can only trust and hope that everything else gets done. So right now, it seems like along with all the growth that we've had, there's a lot more opportunity for this. So I've been having a lot of those internal conversations about changing communication, follow up with customers, how important all of that kind of stuff is, just to make sure that the end user clearly knows what to expect through everything.